Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Greetings, everyone. Welcome. My name is Andy Neal, and you're listening to The Hiker Podcast. What is up there, hikers? It's Andy here, and you're listening to the podcast that gets to know the hiker behind the trekking poles that attempts to demystify hiking so it doesn't seem so complicated so that when you walk into a, an outdoor store you're like this isn't very difficult that that wants to make the outdoors and hiking accessible to everyone that's right you're listening to the hiker podcast thank you all so much for taking the time to listen to this week's episode i know there are a lot of outdoor podcasts and hiking podcasts you can listen to yet you choose to listen to the hiker podcast the hiker podcast is sponsored by cs instant coffee cs instant coffee is amazing i'm not just saying that i was i tried it and was drinking it before they approached me to to help sponsor the show and i'm so grateful they did not only is it the best tasting instant coffee on the trail and i i mean that i do mean that but they do so much to help reduce their carbon footprint including a huge a huge thing is their packaging is biodegradable. Unlike a lot of the other instant coffees, they use a foil type packaging that doesn't biodegrade very easily. They use a biodegradable packaging for all their coffee, which is so important because we want to lessen our footprint here on this earth because we're stewards of it. So thank you so much, CS Instant Coffee, for sponsoring this episode. If you'd like to help out the Hiker Podcast and get some of your own CS Instant Coffee, go to the affiliate link in the description of this episode. It would help us out immensely and tell your friends. With that, um, I do want to address something really quick here. So many new listeners this week. I have to say a big thank you to Unlikely Hikers, who I, I, I've been posting some more vulnerable posts about me and my journey, about with, with uh, you know my body size and as a hiker and past trauma and um, eating disorder and me leaving my old career and getting into a new career. And... Um, Jenny from uh, Unlikely Hikers uh, messaged me, said, hey, I would love to share this. And I said, oh, sure, absolutely, share it. And she had shared my post. And I, I have been following Unlikely Hikers for a long time. I didn't realize what a big following they had at Unlikely Hikers. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And so my messages and, and, and DMs and follows and the, the plays on here, because um on Unlikely Hikers, they also mentioned the Hiker Podcast, have been going through the roof. And so there are a lot of new listeners, and I am so excited to have you all here. And just thank you so much. And thank you to Jenny from Unlikely Hikers for uh, for putting my story out there and letting other people know that they can be vulnerable, no matter who you are, what size you are, what your background is. Um, and I, I talked about in that particular post about you know insecurities and being vulnerable and how um, hiking for me has become almost religious, a religious spiritual experience. And so thank you all for listening and a uh, big thank you to unlikely hikers who I got to throw this out there. Um, Jenny from unlikely hikers and unlike hikers just has a shoe put out from Merrill. Um, amazing. I would encourage you to go check it out. Follow unlikely hikers. All that information is there. I'll put a link to them in the description of this episode. Also big thank you to CNOC. That's CNOC. No, not CNOC. Canock. I always say it wrong. I said it wrong to the owner. Canock spelled C-N-O-C, Canock, um, for helping me out and being cool and sharing posts. Uh, we're going to have the the uh, founders and owners of Canock on the episode next week. So super excited for that. For all the information about the Hiker Podcast, make sure you go to hikerpodcast.com where you can find out all the different ways to listen. And there's not all of them are on there because 
my goodness, I keep getting picked up by other providers. We're on Stitcher now. I don't have that on our website yet. We're on Amazon. I just found out. Amazing. So um, a great way to help the show out, though, if you can't purchase some CS Instant Coffee, uh, Apple Podcasts is still the king of podcasts. So if you go onto Apple Podcasts and you leave a five-star written review, it helps us out a ton. Also, if you go to hikerpodcast.com, you'll see our socials. Instagram is the best way to reach us. Or you can email me, Andy, at hikerpodcast.com. You can also follow me on my Instagram, uh, at Andy Films and Hikes. You can connect with me, see what I'm doing. We also have a Facebook group. Um, it's public. You can search for it. I believe you just put Hiker Podcasting Groups. And I'm wanting to get more people on there just to you know have discussions about hikers. It's a place where hikers from any background, any talent levels, like I say in the description of this episode, from the, the, the person who's getting on the trail for the first time to an experienced triple ground hiker, this podcast is for everyone because you know what? It doesn't matter your skill level, who you are, where you come from. We all just love the outdoors. And uh, yeah, I've been so embraced by this community, by so many of you. And just thank you all so much. Anyways, go to hikerpodcast.com for all of that. With that said, I am stoked to have our next guest on the show, Maggie Slepian amazing writer you've probably seen her stuff on backpacking magazine she recently wrote an article for huffington post about working at a coffee shop uh in a small town in montana during the pandemic and masks and all and she's just an amazing person and we had an amazing conversation and i was just so thankful to have her on the show uh check out everything she writes and she does she is the co-founder of backpackingroutes.com her own website is maggieslepian.com check out all the things she does um, where she's actually going to be here on the show again in a few weeks. We're having our first hiker round table, which is a conversation we're going to have once a month here on the show where we just get together with a bunch of hikers and we get on zoom and we talk about an issue. And we're going to be talking about um, an article, literally a, a subject that she just wrote on this week. Uh, it's it's uh, hiking, backpacking, the outdoors and social media and how social media affects perception of the outdoors and how you know gear companies work and that sort of thing it's a big subject and we have some amazing guests on that roundtable conversation i'm super excited about it with that though uh maggie Slepian is a appalachian trail through hiker writer full-time she co-founded backpackingroutes.com she lives in bozeman montana and i'm so grateful and thankful to have her on the show and she's actually the third member of the the, the girl squad who we've had um, one after another on this month's episodes. Uh, they went and hiked the uh, Oregon Coast Trail together, which you'll hear some about on this episode. With that, guys, without any further ado, my conversation with Maggie Slepian. So excited this week to have co-founder of backpackingroutes.com, also a writer, social media personality, as you may know her, and hiker, uh, Maggie Sleppy. And how are you doing today, Maggie? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, just let's go ahead and get right into it. Just tell everybody your story, your background, the things that hikers generally want to know. Well, let's see. I started hiking in New Hampshire in the White Mountains when I was in high school. Um, I didn't like it because starting your hiking existence in the White Mountains is kind of a trial by fire. But um, I, I guess I came to really appreciate um, just how gritty and challenging it was. I didn't grow up hiking on switchbacks. Um, I just grew up kind of, um, as people in New England know, hiking straight up boulder fields um, in horrendous socked in weather. And then kept hiking into college um, in New Hampshire and it kind of became my go-to for when I felt anxious or stressed. Um, my dad was the main person I hiked with and then <clears throat> started backpacking a little bit after college and just kind of grew from there. I hiked the AT in 2015, um, started writing about it for what was then Appalachian Trials and became the trek and then I guess just kept backpacking and kept getting out into the backcountry as much as possible. I was supposed to hike the PCT this year. Um, I became one of the through hiking no-goes because of COVID. Um, and now I'm just kind of waiting to see what's next. I have some vague ideas for next year, but um, obviously we can't really plan anything. 
Yeah, this year has been the year of the the no go. Unfortunately, hopefully we get some more. Uh, I don't know permits and stuff for 2021 as uh you know as things kind of hopefully get better with covid um so you really kind of got in the backpacking in college what was it about that time where you're like i am really starting to enjoy this i'm getting more and more into this well to dive right into let's really get to know me um i had really really bad eating disorders in college and so started back started hiking um in high school and early college and then got very sick um, with eating disorders, my, ooh, the end of my freshman year, I think, in, into sophomore year, into junior year. And so when I was quite ill and couldn't do anything, I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs um, at the worst time, I just wanted to go outside and run. And I wanted to hike. And I wanted to do all the things that I had just started to love doing um, before I got sick. And so um, it was years, yeah, it was cumulative years um, in college where I couldn't be outside. And so in my brief intro, I kind of glossed over that um, because I started hiking and then later in college, I started backpacking. But the truth is, um, I couldn't do that for a couple of years in college. And so um, it was my reward basically for um, recovery. And so that involved a stint in a residential unit, uh, and then just a long outpatient process. And one of my dad has always been my biggest cheerleader in the outdoor world and my inspiration for being outside. And when I was, um, kind of in the worst of things and they thought that they maybe I wasn't going to recover. My dad said, um, if you recover, we will, we're going to go to Yosemite and we're going to do a five-day backpacking trip, and I'd never been backpacking, never done an overnight before, and you know, it was like completely out of my mind. Um, and so, but I like kind of grasped onto this from my dad that if I got better, which seemed, you know, at one point completely out of the question, like there's no way I'm ever going to recover from this because um, I was doing so poorly. Um, but this kind of this like, dangling carrot of this backpacking trip in Yosemite, I'd never been out west before either, and. Um, yeah, so yeah, my dad gave me that, um, I don't know, yeah, just that motivation to get better. And I did, say, like, with a, through a long process and period of time and very complicated and very privileged to have been able to go um, into one of those residential units that a lot of people can't afford to from their families. So I'm really grateful for all the help that I had. But afterwards, um, it took a couple of years, you know, to get all the planning down and stuff. But um, we ended up in Yosemite, and I had I had done like overnights and stuff before that, um, like once I got better. But it was kind of my reward for getting better was like this feeling like, okay, I want to like really get into the outdoors, and I want to actually really dive into this. And the next step after day hiking is backpacking, and so that was um, later college after I was recovered. So. Was there anything about backpacking after, you know, go, going through that that struggle, going through that, you know, t- time and treatment that you found therapeutic in and of itself? Absolutely. It's the challenge for me. And it's it's being outside and working really hard and achieving a goal. And it might seem arbitrary because objectively it is totally arbitrary. But when you're out there and you're working as hard as you can, to reach a peak and you do it and your body did that. And that was under your own power and no one else helped you get up there except your muscles and your skeletal system and your grit and your guts. And you made it. And that to me is the motivating factor. And it's, you know, I hadn't seen anything else besides New Hampshire. So I didn't know that there was these other epic places out in the Western part of the U S. But yeah, for me, it was just being in a place that I loved the white mountains and working really hard and being able to work that hard and being able to extend that experience of hiking during the day into overnight. And um, the feeling of sleeping in the woods for the first time is something you never forget. You're like, wow, I'm sleeping outside. I had never done that until my later college years. And um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of realizing and appreciating what my body could do after fighting my body so hard to the point where I just wanted my body to be gone. And so then knowing what it could do, I think has been a continual motivation for me when I push myself. What do you think it is about the outdoors that for so many, including myself has been beneficial for, for mental health? 
you're out of your routine. You're out of your system. I mean, I've, I've written articles about the mental health benefits of being outdoors. And there's all those studies you can link to in the description of this podcast. But it's just something about being outside and being in nature, I think just instantly calms you. You know, when I'm sitting in my house and I'm, you know, frantically working and it's summer, so it's nice in Montana. And I just feel like I have to get out. And like, I have this like one short peak that I hike near my house and it, it just resets you, I think. And you can work hard and be surrounded by the natural world. And I think we spend so much time indoors in front of, for me, in front of a computer screen that the juxtaposition between sitting on that same couch cushion I sit on and staring at my computer and being out on top of a peak, there's nothing that compares to it. So... After that backpacking trip, you get more and more into backpacking and hiking. What was kind of the impetus for you getting into the backpacking and hiking community and being as as involved as you are now? Um, this is actually pretty recent. So I worked for a backpacking site um, as the managing editor for five years. And I was, I think, a little bit behind the scenes. Um, I heard from people that they didn't even know that the site had anyone who worked for it. So I think I wrote a lot under the editor's um, name. And I just did a lot kind of behind the scenes, like I wasn't the face of it or anything. Um, so I worked with bloggers and people doing videos, and they were very upfront. So I think I was part of it, but behind the scenes. And I think now since I've gone full time freelance, I actually lost that job because of COVID over the summer. So I had to really scramble and try to put together an income from completely freelancing. And I think it's actually been a blessing because I've been able to use my own voice and be more public with my writing and put my name on things and advertise that I'm writing for different people and become more part of the community. So I guess I started, I started becoming part of the community behind the scenes um, after my through hike in 2015, but I don't think that really anyone knew I was around because I couldn't really use my own voice when you're writing under contract for somebody. Uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been really cool this past six months to be able to grow my own voice and my own editorial style. So you talked about the AT there. What was the uh, what was the impetus for you getting on the AT and going from hiking to backpacking to through hiking? Uh, the AT was my first trip longer than one night, so that was challenging. Because um, my dad and I ended up at Yosemite the year after the AT, so I should have backed up and said that. But I got onto the AT because one of the things that I noticed once I got into recovery in college were the white blazes in New Hampshire. So I'm hiking a lot in the white mountains and I'm checking off the 4,000 footers on the list and doing these really cool link ups with my dad and my friends. And I was carrying probably like 30 pounds of a day pack one day. Cause that's just how I did the thing back in the day. And so this hiker had a backpack, the same size as mine, just sitting on a rock. And I asked him where he started. Cause I was doing a link up of different peaks. So I was maybe doing like a 10 or 15 mile hike and it's, it's common out there to ask people like, oh, like, what are you on? What route are you doing? And he said he had started in Georgia. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like thinking it was a peak I'd missed. Um, and he started in Georgia because he was on the AT and he had this tiny little backpack. And he, his kid explained to me what the blazes were that I saw on different sections of White Mountains Trail that I'd hike. And I didn't think much about them um, just because it's, you know, different sections of trail are blazed differently. And I didn't know that the blazes that I saw went all the way to Georgia and kept going to Maine. And I just thought that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. And I want to do that someday. And I kept thinking about it. And at a certain point in uh, 2014, I was working. Oh, man, I've had so many jobs. Um, I was working as a nude model for the art department at MSU, a climbing instructor and catering on the weekends to save money. And so I had just this collection of random jobs that I didn't really like or care about. And I thought this is a really good time to peace out. So I started planning for the AT in 2014 and then um, did it starting in March of that next year in 2015. After you get off the AT, what was your post-trail experience like? I was fine. And I know that's not the common thing that people say, but basically um, I had been living, yeah, I know everyone, I don't have anything deep or profound for you about post-trail depression because I was living in Montana and I still live in Montana. I live in Bozeman and it's beautiful. And my entire social life and life in general in Montana was 
made up of doing things in the outdoors. I was really into climbing, biking, um, kayaking. I hunted, I archery hunted, I rifle hunted. Everything I did was outside. So in that time span between my first overnight and the AT, I had just become very active in the outdoor rec community, in backcountry recreation in Montana. And uh, so when I got back, I just kept hiking and I kept backpacking and I got back into climbing shape and I pulled my kayak out for like the last time for like a season in, in that August that I got back. And so I was fine. I didn't really think much about it. I thought, yeah, someday I want to do the PCT. But right now I'm just going to keep doing backpacking trips and start traveling. I made a goal to see all the national parks in the U.S. And because my life was made up of outdoor things, I didn't have any kind of withdrawals or anything from the trail. So I was very, very lucky. So there wasn't this, oh, you're on the you're on the AT and all of a sudden you get back into real life, you're back in an office, you're back in a classroom and you're back inside. It was just, you were continuing doing what you were doing, just not on that particular trail. Yeah, exactly. And so I was like, okay, I'm just back on the trail, but I'm out West now. And I'm now I can, I now I know what I'm capable of, which is hiking 2000 miles. So I started setting <clears throat> bigger goals for myself as far as um, doing backpacking trips out here and creating my own routes and just doing um, longer days in the mountains because I was overly confident to that point, which is still a common theme with me. And thought, okay, I'm totally fine. I'll do, I'm just going to keep being outside as much as possible. Very cool. So with as much writing as you've done, um, you, know, you Google your name, you see you see your name on REI, the Trek, all that stuff. You've gotten really involved in obviously the, the outdoor social media community, which can be both a blessing and a curse. Um, talk a little bit about the status of, you know, just the online outdoor community and how that's both a positive and a negative thing from your perspective. Oh man, I, that's, I think, so I don't consider my, it's interesting because I think that there's this very obvious metric that people use when you're talking about social media and it's your follower count. And I've run really big accounts from behind the scenes before, um, but my own account is quite small. And, you know, I have these amazing girlfriends who have, you know, 20,000 followers, 15,000 followers, and they're um, big personalities in, you know, our small corner of the internet. And so I don't necessarily consider myself part of things. I just think I um, am almost like, like social media adjacent, I guess. For me, it's a place to um, have people who enjoy reading my writing. And if I put up something and I say, hey, I wrote this and I try to link to it, so I try to use it more from a business standpoint, publicity standpoint, since I am working completely for myself and just trying to get more writing jobs and get my name out there more in the outdoor writing world. So I use it for that. But I think that I think that overall it has, it can be, it can be a positive because it brings people together. I've met amazing people um, via social um, like um, Rebecca Sperry. I met her through the trek through social years ago and um, Becca little Skittles and um, Julia rocket. And I all met via social just from praising each other up and down all the time, women positivity. But I think that there's this toxic dark side to it where <clears throat> you start to, um, undermine your own value or use your social media popularity and engagement as a proxy for your own self-worth. And I think I've struggled a lot in the past with using other things as a proxy for self-worth. Like hence, you know, the eating disorder thing is a very obvious um, corollary for me there. And I think that people's personalities can start to be shaped by what they what their online audience sees and maybe you don't necessarily want to go hiking but you want people to think that you're hiking and so you're putting up a picture where you were hiking but maybe you're not right now and it becomes I think sometimes that can become an issue with your own self-worth because people are seeing something that isn't necessarily true and people can depend too much on it for for how they feel about themselves and that's something that I really really want to avoid so I think the fact that like I'm not popular in social media is probably good for my mental health uh, because I don't feel like I have anything to prove on there. And it, that can be, I think, just a very toxic downside. And they, they make it like that. They, they make it so you, you have that little dopamine hit when you see your notifications or, you know, I'm having a bad day. I want people to like something that I did. So you like throw something up on there. And I don't think all people are like that, but I think it's a pretty easy spiral to fall into. And also that, um, 
obviously you can, there's a lot of opportunities that come with being popular via social with brand partnerships and paid things. And so it's become just this kind of unavoidable intrinsic part of the outdoor community. And I think it's funny. You think I'm part of it. I don't, I don't think I'm part of it, but I've been told that I am. And so I'm going to have to go do some soul searching after this uh, because you're not the first person who said that I'm very actively involved in the outdoor social media community. So yeah, I guess, I guess I am. Am I? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you are. You are. Um, I'm not popular though. I'm like, I have like the, the activity on there, like without being popular. That's the story of my life. (laughs) I I think too, with, with you, Specifically, you have, you know, your, your girlfriends, you know, you have little Skittle and, and other others who have, you know, they have their YouTube channels and their followings and you see them. But also um, you have, we'll just bring this up, your, your, your boyfriend, legend, Jeff Garmeyer, who's been on the show before. <laughs> and you're, you're there, you're, you know, you show up on his social media as a time and everyone in the outdoor community, you know, kind of knows who you are even if maybe you're not posting as much but you're all you're there and it's like oh there she is on the track there she is here there she is there and so we see you all the time so you're like just a you're this fixture within the the online uh social media community before we get more before we get more into that like you you've been writing for a while and you've probably seen what a lot of people have seen is the, the changing of how the outdoor industry is advertising and is, is, um, reaching out to people. Um, it used to be, um, the PTC PCTA used to say the number one thing that got people on the trail was the book wild. And it was the movie wild. Mm-hmm. Now it's Instagram and YouTube. Mm-hmm. Now you have brands, you know, reaching out to, you know, mm-hmm. to podcasts and, and YouTube channels and Instagrammers to, to sell their wares. Um, how has that helped and hurt the outdoor community, the the online vlogger, Instagrammer, you know, industry? Oh, boy. Um, yes, I don't want to say anything that's going to hurt people's feelings, but I guess I just say things anyway, so I'll say it. Um, <laughs> first of all, I feel very fortunate that I slid under the gate as a writer before having a large social media following was kind of a metric of if people want to be involved with you. And so um, I think all the time how lucky I am that, I have friends at PR firms and I'm friends with brands and people know me for writing and not a social following. And so I think that that also is good for my mental health. Um, So yeah, I kind of slid under the door with that. I think that if I was getting into the outdoor world now and trying to make connections, the fact that I don't have a popular social media presence would probably make it a lot harder for me, but I have such a backlog and portfolio of um, writing and connections via my editorial work that I feel very fortunate that I can, um, leverage that when I'm being involved or with projects like backpacking routes, I already have these connections. I think, whew, oh man, I think that I think social can be great for getting people into the outdoors, but, but this proliferation of photos and imagery that isn't necessarily representative of the experience can be damaging. And I don't know, you know, if long term, if that's going to show up in the number of people who um, quit these long trails if it goes from 75% of people quit the AT to like 90% because the story that we're getting in these curated images is not necessarily how it goes outside all the time or even even part of the time and you know I'm conscious of what I put up on the internet because I want it to look appealing because that's you know that's part of it but I also try to balance it with being honest about um the fact that long days in the woods or the mountains or recently the beach <laughs> are really, really hard. And it's not just getting blisters. It's being really cold and really wet all day, going to sleep cold and wet. And then you have to wake up and be cold and wet and put on your cold and wet clothing and keep hiking. So you're not, you're not going back to a car when you're cold and wet. You don't have that to look forward to. You're just going to keep walking and you're probably going to go to sleep that night with your wet gear again. And that, I think, is something that you cannot possibly portray via social. And so if somebody's entire impression of long-distance backpacking comes from these beautiful photos that you see of, you know, sunsets and mountains where it's always really nice out and the colors are pretty, that they're going to get they're going to be really surprised when they actually get out there that you have those moments, but they're kind of on a 2000 mile hike or a 500 mile hike. Those are few and far between sometimes. So 
I think that overall, I, I don't think it's a net positive. So do you think it could possibly be dangerous people seeing these images on Instagram and they're going out there possibly unprepared? Maybe, yeah, maybe not dangerous as much as just they're not going to be ready for it. And not like, you know, I think it's hard to really get in trouble on a trail like the AT because there's so many people around and you, there's so many bailout points. Um, but I guess, I guess it could be, you know, you could be putting yourself in harm's way if you want to go out to this remote part that someone's geotagged. And I, I do see this trend now of people um, being more vague about the areas that they're tagging. I know Luke talked about that on your podcast um, and little Skittle Becca is very conscientious about um, keeping these places, you know, away from like the most popular eye. But I think that, yeah, it's just because of the representation being how amazing and beautiful and, you know, easy and glamorous through hiking is. Um, yeah, there's definitely the potential to get yourself in trouble if someone goes out and they're not prepared, they haven't done the research and, or they just think that it's going to be really easy. So shifting gears a little bit, and we, we talked about this a little bit via email, you, you your boyfriend is Jeff Garmeyer, um, also known as legend. Yes. Um, and so that probably, I don't know, brings some other things up as far as maybe expectations for you as, as a, a woman in the outdoor industry. Uh, talk a little bit about what it's like to, you know, not that your identity has anything to do with him. You are your own person, obviously. But talk a little bit about the experience of being the, the significant other of someone who's so well known in the outdoor community. It's actually, it has been so positive. That's how I've met these people. Once I left my outdoor, uh, once I left my editorial job, I didn't have, I didn't really know people outside of that world that I did in kind of behind the scenes. And I have never felt like Legend's girlfriend and that as that my only identity. And I've made jokes about it because I have an old trail name from the AT, but I don't, I just don't feel like using it. And so I just made this joke to um, the girls on our Oregon Coast Trail trip that, oh yeah, maybe my trail name should just be Legend's Girlfriend. That they were like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not how people think of you. And I think that it has been so surprising and amazing to be embraced by the outdoor community once it became obvious that I was dating Jeff, Legend Garmeyer, um, that that's not how I'm known. People are like, oh, look, she has her own personality. That's cool and funny and probably normal for someone to have a personality. And so, um, yeah, I, I really, I thought that that might be the thing that I was that I was known for and I wouldn't be anybody if I wasn't legend's girlfriend, but that has absolutely not been the case. Jeff never promotes that. Um, I'm very much my own person. I think I also have a rather strong personality. So um, maybe that helps me stand out and Jeff has a strong personality too, but yeah, I, I feel very much like I'm just known for being myself and I'm also legend's girlfriend. And uh, that as far as like being known in the outdoor world, as much as I am, has been really, really nice and not what I expected. So with, with that in mind, talk a little bit about the more, more about more into the social media side of things. Um, this idea of, of hiker celebrities, cause you know, you're, you're friends with, you know, vloggers and Instagram and show, you know, tens of thousands of followings. You're, you know, your legends girlfriend, you have your own following. Um, what is the danger of kind of putting certain personalities in the outdoor community on a pedestal it's uh people people can judge people based on what they see on the internet and i i mean i always knew that i liked julia and becca but i was wondering like what are they like in person because i know they're you know fantastic personalities on the internet but in person these people who you know are looked up to in the outdoor world for good reason because they're promoting good messages and they're honest and um vulnerable on the internet. Uh, but they're everyone's so different in person. And so and Jeff too. I mean, I I forget sometimes that Jeff is legend because he is just he's just my boyfriend and we spend our money on cat clothing, seasonal appropriate cat clothing. And um, you know, he I know how he like I make his coffee in the morning if I get up before him. And so I forget that these people have these online personas, you know, Julia, Beck and I are on this group chat and uh, we talk to each other kind of throughout the day. And, you know, Rebecca Sperry stalked in, who was on your show. She is known now for, you know, being this like badass 
person who's hiking through cancer, but I know her as my old intern from the trek. And also just as a close friend who we send each other videos all day about what we're doing because, you know, we're sitting at home. And so I think that it's just so important to remember that these people who are looked up to on the internet in a certain world have their own lives and they're not always in the outdoors and they're not always what they're presenting online and that they're their own person. And it's just not always what you see. Um, and Jeff is the same way, you know, like he's, he, I think he's very much himself on the internet and that's, you know, commendable, but also like he's, he's a totally different person at home. <laughs> so you are the, the, the third person of the, we'll just say the girl gang on the show. <laughs> uh, we've had both Be- Becca and Julie on right before you, um, the three of you, went on the Oregon coast trail, which is a trail that uh, is near and dear to me. I hope to hike one day, uh, me being in Oregon. Um, but you guys have never met each other before. And I asked each of them about this. Talk about that experience of going with these women, having never been, you know, have never been, you know, hiking together or even met in person before going on a, what's honestly a trail that's very just strange with, with beach walks and road walks and getting out, you know, getting out there to the Oregon coast and hiking this thing, just the three of you. Um, everyone asked me that before I was going, my, my friends in Montana, they're like, you've never met these girls. You're going out on a five day backpacking trip with them. And I was like, yeah, is that weird? So I guess I didn't think it was a big deal. We had been, I forget why we started talking, but I think we were just in this, you know, circle of praising each other on the internet. And I sent them a a private message. And I was like, this is a good vibe. Do you guys want to, you know, we should meet up and go hiking someday or backpack. We could do a backpacking trip someday. And then it went from there. And so we've been in communication so much that I didn't think it was weird. And so I met Julia at the airport and I was like, Oh, cool. She seems as nice as I thought she would. And then Becca picked this up and I thought, Oh, cool. This one seems as nice as I thought she would too. And I, there was never any doubt in my mind that we were going to get along so well. We had such a good rapport on the internet and we've been kind of chatting so much about this trip and um, it was never weird. It was never awkward. We got along so much better than I, in my wildest dreams. I thought it was going to be fun, but I didn't think I'm going to make these friends and be friends with them for a long time. And um, yeah, it was, it was just, maybe they think differently, but, and maybe I just think that everyone's going to like me immediately, but I was not worried at all. So talk a little bit about the Oregon coast trail real quick. What was that like as far as compared to your traditional, you know, your AT through hike? It was so weird, Andy. It was the weirdest trail. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to through hike it. We did um, the northern section and maybe have like 30 miles left of the northern to get to the northern terminus. Um, So I'm going to piece it together at some point. But I, I do this thing where I want everyone to think I'm super cool and so in this group message I'm like yeah Oregon Coast Trail November I love to suffer I love type 2 fun you know like I'm such a badass but I really like don't and I'm like throwing like all my waterproof things into my bag I'm checking the forecast for the Oregon Coast like as the days get in I'm like what am I doing like I'm excited to meet these girls but this was like such a bad idea and so um right off the bat it's like cold and rainy and None of us, we all showed up. I've written about this too. Um, and I have a trip report series coming out with Backpacking Light at some point. But we show up and none of us have researched anything because, I mean, I think that like Julia and Becca seem very responsible and very on top of things. And I'm like, okay, one of them is going to have done the research, but I'm busy with my freelance work. And I'm like, okay, like we'll figure it out when we get there, which is also something I do. So I figure it out when I get there. And so we show up. And none of us know what where we're going to leave the car. We start doing calculations. Like we have to be in Seaside, Oregon on this day. So if we do this many miles per day, we just started like Google mapping things that were like X amount of miles south of where we were. It was just not, not ideal. Uh, it was funny though. And so, yeah, the Oregon Coast Trail, when we started, um, we were very confused the entire time. We had no idea where the trail was. We, we knew we were starting kind of nearby it where we left the car. Uh, for Jeff's parents to actually pick up. We had a whole like shuttle thing arranged. And we just kind of wandered around through streets. We wound up um, bumping into people's backyard boundaries in the woods. Um, we wound up at this really cool thing called God's Thumb that was not on the trail, but I thought it was because I'm overly confident and I was leading. And so we just completely underestimated kind of the logistical challenges of the Oregon Coast Trail. Um, it's not a blaze trail. It's not just in the woods. It has all these different segments. And so 
you'll have five miles on the beach, but then there's this unmarked spot where you really have to get off the beach because you're going to get cliffed out and get hit by high tide if you try to keep going. But you have to know where to get off the beach. And so Julia had this app from the UK, I think, that nobody knows about called Hiker with two eyes and an underscore, I think. Um, she could probably link to it. And um, so we're just kind of, we've been bumbling around for the first couple hours um, and then walking on the side of the highway in the dark. And Julia downloaded the app and she's like, oh my gosh, it has the Oregon Coast Trail on it. Thank goodness. So she downloaded the Oregon Coast Trail and my hands were too cold and my phone was too wet to do it. So I was like, oh, you can just figure it out. And um, so she was able with that app and a GPS on the app to tell us where the trail goes on and off the beach, where it goes into the woods, where you have this ungodly long road walk, where you're going into a town because it's not signed really. It's not blazed. It just, it links together a series of already existing trails, state parks, campsites, beach walking, road walking, um, you know, dodging through towns to get back onto a trail. And that, that is the sanctioned trail. And so without a kind of map or navigation, um, you're a little hosed. And again, that, that comes down to just really poor planning and overconfidence thinking, oh, we'll just figure it out when we get there. Um, I think we were a delightful hot mess. None of us could, we all had different tents that we had brought kind of due to um, the rain that was forecasted. We didn't, they didn't bring their freestanding tents. I bought, I brought this new tent that Jeff was testing out from um, a DCF tent from ZPAC that was freestanding and like none of us could set it up. We were on the trail in the dark. It's like sheets of rain, like literally on the trail trying to set our tents up because no one else is out there. There's nowhere to camp. Um, there's like screaming because the rain's getting into our tents and like they've, they never used tents that had flies and poles before. Cause they were, you know, it's cool trekking pole girls and I'm not, and, um, yeah, we were, we were a disaster, but it was so fun. So talk a little bit about your experience. You talked about the gear there for a minute. Uh, you, you've worked a lot with gear and I, you know, Luke, Luke Harris told me that you are like the gear master, you know, more than anybody. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you want to make sure I ask you about about gear and your experience with it. Um, talk a little bit about gear envy because it's I, I know for me having only gotten into the this world for the last you know year to eighteen months, I look at other people. I'm like, oh wow, they have that that Waymark pack and I want it, but all I can f- afford the only thing that fits me right is this Teton pack from Amazon. Um, how <laughs> can I, how, it, it is what it is, but how has the gear industry helped and possibly even hurt the hiking community and people wanting to get into it? That's a good question. I think that there, a couple of years ago, there was this huge push towards ultralight gear and ultralight was sexy and it was trendy. And if your pack wasn't just this glorified DCF sack with no hip belt, what were you even doing on the trail? And I've tried to be a voice for the medium base weight people. Um, I have a very average base weight considering how lucky I am to be able to test, you know, all the lightest and newest gear from these companies um, just through my role writing and editing And I think that there's also, it kind of comes back to that, what you're seeing on social media and and idolizing and wanting to be like these um, people that you see when that might not be the best thing for you. And so when people, I I get asked a good amount about um, gear advice and pack advice. And what I tell people is don't get the ultralight pack if you're not an ultralight hiker. Don't get don't get the one quarter inch, you know, chunk of foam as a sleeping pad, unless, you know, that's what you really do. And there are people who do that and they're comfortable sleeping on that. And I'm not one of them. You know, I like almost pass out every night when I'm inflating my Thermarest Neo or X-Lite, which is, you know, a very comfortable sleeping pad, but it's not like a cool sleeping pad. I could just throw down a Z-Fold half pad and call it a night and look cool and ultralight. But I think that people need to just remember that it's their experience out on the trail and it's an entirely up to them what works for them and yeah you can try that but chances are you know if if you have a 16 pound base weight but you're determined to use a polante pack with no hip belt you're not going to be comfortable you're going to separate your shoulders from their sockets you know on your first big food or water carry and i i don't think the gear companies have anything to do with this i think it's more about how people are um taking that information that they're getting from social media and seeing something that they want to emulate without without really understanding what works for them the best. And that, you know, it's not going to harm people, but it is going to mean you spend more money because you're not necessarily getting the best gear for you. You're getting the gear that um, is the lightest. And a lot of times the lightest gear out there is not the most comfortable. 
Um, and then there's the other side of it where someone goes to a big box store um, like REI and they get outfitted by a kid who's maybe, you know, done one overnight with Boy Scouts when he was 14 years old. This is not, I'm not ragging on REI um, at all. I think that they're a wonderful resource. But I know from when I set up my AT gear, I went to REI and I bought everything they recommended and my pack was like 45 pounds. And so there's just a lot to be said for your own personal research into the gear that works for you. And gear envy is fine. You know, if you want to save up for, you know, the, the duplex or that absurdly expensive hyperlight mountain gear tent that kind of went nowhere a couple of years ago, you can absolutely do that. And that's enlightening your pack is going to make you a happier hiker overall, but it's also just, you know, what works for you. It's not about what other people think. And it's not, you know, I don't, I don't have a cool ultralight pack. I carry a two person freestanding tent when I hike alone because it's more comfortable for me. And um, I don't, I don't apologize for that. I've tried to go ultralight because I wanted to be cool. And then I came to this realization that in my entire life, I'm never going to be cool. So I might as well just accept that. And um, yeah, now I have a very moderate pathway and I try to make sure that people know that that is okay. <laughs> Does that make sense? Absolutely. So what if you're, you find yourself on the trail and a piece of gear, like maybe your sleeping pad fails and you have to find yourself at Walmart. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> with a, with perhaps something from Ozark trail. Um <laughs> that ever happened to you before? I don't know why you're asking this. No. Yes, absolutely. It did. Um, so the, um, Jeff and I through hiked the Washita trail in last month and I have never had that many pieces of gear fail me so quickly. Um, so obviously I do a lot of gear writing and I've written about this biolite headlamp and this headlamp is wonderful because it has this wide wicking headband and the light unit is integrated into the band and it's rechargeable. And I tell people in these things that I write, don't take the biolite 200 headlamp because it's good for an overnight or two, but it doesn't last long enough. And 200 lumens is not enough to night hike by. And so I brought the biolite 200 because do as I say, not as I do. So, of course, this headlamp doesn't last. And at its highest setting, 200, it has maybe 90 minutes of battery life. And Jeff and I are through hiking in November, and I'm not in great shape So, and when we start. And so the days are long, and it gets dark. And <clears throat> we're hiking more than 90 minutes in the dark every night. So my headlamp has not enough battery life. And um, my headlamp is the first to go. Jeff is out on a run during our through hike because he is legend. And I'm by myself. I don't really night hike alone that much, but here I am um, night hiking. My headlamp dies. I'm trying to figure out where Jeff said we were camping. So I'm holding my phone out in front of me and also <laughs> doing that, that kind of wheezy cry where you're out of breath and tired, but you also want to cry because you're so frustrated. And so I'm wheeze crying up the trail, trying to figure out on my dying phone that I'm using as a flashlight and with the gut hook app to see where we're camping. Um, then I get to camp and Jeff shows up like 20 minutes later and he finds my tent and he's super chill because Jeff's hiked 30,000 miles and nothing phases him. And he's like, Oh, Hey, how was it? I was like, it was fine. And so I'm just like kind of a bedraggled mess. And the day was kind of hard. It was really rocky. <clears throat> and, um, I inflate my, you know, favorite sleeping pad, the Neo air that I've already ruined one this year, putting it on a cactus. And so I inflate my Neo air and I'm out of breath and, from inflating it and I sit down on it and I pop it on a pair of tweezers that I, I don't know why I have tweezers in this bag, but I do in case I want to pluck my eyebrows on the trail or something. And so my sleeping pad deflates, my headlamp's dead. I inflate my pillow and the seam fails. And so within two hours of night hiking and standing up camp, my pillow's gone. My sleeping pad's gone. And my, my headlamp is dead and it's only the first night of a 230 mile hike. And, um, so yeah, we, I suffered for another two nights. Jeff was really nice. Um, he could have totally just made fun of me, but he didn't, he, we slept in a shelter and then I put the tent underneath me to try to sleep, had a couple really rough nights. And then we hitched to a Walmart and I wound up with, um, something that was the size of a horse strapped to my pack and only marginally better than sleeping on bare ground and uh, slept with my Ozark trail closed cell foam pad for very, very large people. This width was insane. I was getting caught in all the branches on the trail. And then 
a couple days later, Jeff had been secretly, um, Jeff is funny because he's not super outwardly affectionate or he doesn't, you know, not, that's just not like the way that he shows that he cares, but he'll be planning this big thing on his own that you have no idea about. So he'd been talking to a trail angel in Arkansas, like amazing. And he found somebody who met us. He timed it. So this person met us a couple days later at this road crossing that has the picnic tables and she brought us food and she brought me a loner sleeping pad, a different kind of thermo rest that even I couldn't puncture. And um, so I got to hike the rest of the trail with an actual sleeping pad. But um, yeah, I had two like kind of rough hikes in a row as far as gear and planning goes. And I had so much fun on both of them. But um, yeah, definitely not the poster child for having a perfect long distance hike. And you know, sometimes it's it's okay to have that Walmart gear. I know for me, getting into hiking, that's kind of the first thing I did. I got the the cheap gear and then when all that all wore down yeah. i go you go up to the next step and for so many that's what works if you're only going hiking once a year yeah an yeah, old dark trail hike might work but when you're going hiking several times a week or whatever it you have to kind of up it and that's okay uh, i want to talk a little bit about before we we close out um a few things but um you had a part in uh not part but a part in helping produce uh, a film uh, about legends fkt of the colorado trail talk a little bit about that oh yeah man a lot happened this year for a year where not much was supposed to happen but so jeff um brief backstory with that jeff and i were approached by a production team in la to um to film the pilot for a tv show about us being um, moderately attractive outdoorsy people while Jeff set records. I guess if that was like all in capitals, I guess that was going to be their pitch. And so that we filmed the pilot, we met a bunch of people that way. Um, who knows where that's going, but through that we met, um, cameramen and film editors and all these people. And so we're waiting to see where this pilot's going. But then Jeff said, or Jeff and I were thinking, you know, he has this epic, event plan to do this unsupported record on the very sexy scenic Colorado trail. And um, why don't we get these people together and Jeff and I confront the money and we can at least get the footage for it and see where it goes. And so suddenly, technically I found myself um, as the EP executive producer on this documentary. And so um, we got a bunch of people together. We hosted um, all of our video meetings beforehand. We assigned roles to people. We found a logistics guy who could figure out the access points for the film crew to remotely film Jeff because they couldn't have any contact with him. And so yeah, we had pages of notes and presentations and these meetings with these people, a drone pilot, a director, camera operator, who were all taking us very seriously. And I thought like, like, what am I doing? Like major imposter syndrome. All these people are going to like be converging on Colorado. And we have, I have to direct this or like produce this 10 day film shoot while Jeff is on the trail. Um, and we did. And so Jeff hiked the trail and we, it worked. Um, we came up, we had, um, we have, I don't know how many hundreds of hours of incredible footage that is now um, going through post-production or what I know of as the editorial process. And so um, not sure what, we have a couple titles in mind um, and then kind of like a basic timeline for fundraising and post-production and then kind of um, oscillating between waiting to see a film festival happen next year and submitting it to outdoor film festivals, it's going to be feature length, um, which also means that it has the potential for streaming. And so we're working with other people who have done outdoor documentaries. Um, Jeff and I, our role right now, now that the shoot is over, um, is to put the right people in the right place because we don't know anything about film editing and we don't know what happens now. We just, we funded the shoot, um, we're in it. And now we just make sure that the right people are working with the footage so yeah, hoping for um, some kind of release next year, whether it's um, streaming, obviously like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime is a lofty goal um, or film festivals as a debut. So what's your impression of the the outdoor entertainment industry? Myself as someone who's, who left his whole career to get into the entertainment industry and then within that mm-hmm. found the outdoors. I, I found it interesting how much that's even blown up with with things like Free Solo um as of late the, the, there seems to be this fascination with outdoor entertainment what's just your impression of that right now oh it's totally aspirational and so who's not going to watch free solo and get sweaty palms and think wow this is epic and i want to be in places like this and so yeah you're not i think that there's more of a trend away from 
the kind of reality shows where you're watching plastic people with lip injections screaming at each other over overpriced salads and you want to see people in the outdoors or real people doing real things and so i think that there's been this push especially because you know the past couple years have been really tumultuous politically and environmentally and i think that there's more of a recognition of the incredible outdoor spaces that we have sometimes right outside our door and then there's been more of a push towards publicity or the i guess the exposure of the natural world and the people doing things in the natural world. It's also, I think, a hard industry to get into. So, um, yeah, you and me both. But Yes, it is. It very is. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just a matter of just putting your head down and, I don't know, just trying to make the right connection to get a foot in the door. But, yeah, I think I've been – it's pretty cool to see it blowing up. Um, I think if we – with our documentary, if we get um, on board and we get a foot in the door with the right people, I think it could – go really far but there's also yeah there's also a lot of competition and that can be a good and a bad thing because it means that there's a market for it but it also means that there's a lot of other people trying for a slot in that same market so closing out here two more questions for you someone we have a lot of new hikers listening to this show it's part of the part of the premise of the show is i'm a new hiker and I'm, I'm talking voices in the outdoor and hiking community what would you tell someone they're listening and they've maybe just want to start getting into hiking, whether that be day hiking or backpacking. What is one piece of advice outside of, you know, gear and that sort of thing? But what is one piece of advice you would give them? Take inspiration from the people that you see on social media, but don't compare yourself to them. Because a lot of times if you're out there and it's not attractive and you're not getting beautiful sunsets and you're really tired and it sucks, that is normal. And they're experiencing that too. It's just not shown. That's one piece of advice. And my second one is don't go too big right away because it's going to be hard and you're going to feel shut down. Just if you want to start out, do a a five mile overnight where you hike five miles to a lake, camp out and hike back. And don't don't go big right away if it's beyond your capabilities, because, you know, of course, it could be dangerous, but it also could just be kind of demoralizing. So um, ease into it and don't compare yourself to people that you see um, on social media. And last question, Maggie, how has hiking changed you? It has given me the confidence and the self-worth that I lacked when I was younger. And whether it's working really hard and achieving a goal or surprising myself by, you know, doing really well or finishing a through hike or canceling a through hike and knowing that I'm still going to have my identity, even though my PCT hike was canceled this year, um, hiking and backpacking in the outdoors is kind of I think the backbone of what I do now and it's what my identity is formed around and it's how I've met people. And it's just, it's kind of, it's how I met Jeff, you know, it's how I met my partner and it's what we do and it's what my friends and I do. And it's how I met the amazing girls I was on the OCT with. And um, it's just a supportive community and it's an activity that has given me a sense of purpose. And it's something that I love to do. It's like the backbone of my life. Maggie, thank you so much for coming on the show. If people want to follow you on social media or read what you write, where would they go? Um, let's see. MaggieSlepian.com just has, it's basically like my portfolio of recent writing that I don't update very much. And then Instagram, Maggie Slepian on Instagram. And then Backpacking Route is our website that I co-founded with um, Jeff and a friend from Backpacking Light named Andrew. So I'm all over the internet and I usually post... Um, essays that I like on my Instagram every few days. Awesome. Maggie, thank you so much for coming on the Hiker Podcast. Thank you so much, Andy. It was great chatting with you. Big thank you to Maggie for coming on the show and for being open, honest, and vulnerable with us. And she is an amazing writer, amazing hiker, amazing person. And I uh, super humbled, like super humble. I, I was just really amazed. She was suggesting people to me to have on the show before she would even consider being on the show. And I'm like, when are you going to come on this show? Um, and she's like, oh, I'm not a big deal. I'm like, yes, you are. You're a big deal. Everyone's a big deal. Uh, but she's done some amazing stuff and amazing stuff for the community. So uh, thank you, Maggie, for coming on the show. If you want to hear more from Maggie, go to MaggieSlepian.com or BackpackingRouts.com. If you want to hear more from the Hiker Podcast, go to hikerpodcast.com. Also, I just want to say thank you all for listening through the entire episode, including my very long seven-minute intro at the very beginning. There was a lot to get through this episode. 
So with that said, make sure you uh, like this episode. If you see it on social media, I was about to say like, comment, and subscribe, but this is not YouTube. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe, and you smash that notification bell and become part of our notification squad. Nothing wrong with that. I've done YouTube for a long time. I get it. Um, it's, just, it's funny. Anyways, I'm totally off script here. Anywho, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. Super excited for next week's episode with the founders and owners of Canock Outdoors here in Oregon. Super exciting episode. With that, also, uh, if you want some instant coffee, see us instant coffee, go to the affiliate link. And uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hiker Podcast. <laughs>